Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you to the Storyform Podcast. Uh, it's been a little while. Um, I am just starting back uh, for season three. Um, so excited about this new season and all that that entails. Um, excited to delve into the topics that we're going to be talking about uh, over this time. Uh, but also, we have a new addition to the podcast, and that is a new co-host. Tori Wilkerson is going to be on the podcast every week uh, as a co-host. And so, Tori, we welcome you here. Thanks, Will. Thanks. Tori, <laughs> Tori is like a sister to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the sister he never wanted. Like an, old, <laughs> like an older sister or a younger sister? Should we decide that today, Tori? Uh, you go ahead and tell that story however you want to, but I'm younger. You are younger by a few years. I think so. Yes. Or month. I can't yes. remember. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Tori, I invited Tori on the podcast because um, uh, Tori is like a sister to me. So, there's kind of a, a natural ease there for that. But also, Tori does have a background in um, training. I know she went to school. She was a, a school um, counselor mm-hmm. for a period school of time. Um, so, she has a awareness of mental health. Um she has been for many, many, many years um, here at Fellowship. She's been a, a group leader within our story group ministry, within Soul Care. Um, she has served in variety of leadership capacities within women's ministry. And um, Tori, you've been at Fellowship for like since the beginning almost. Almost. I have been here 19 years. 19 years. I was pregnant yeah. with my firstborn right. when we joined the church. Yeah. So yeah. I think we're at year 22 or 23 now. So yeah. it was uh, pretty we early We were at on. USJ and there were about 150 people there, okay. I think, then. Yeah. So Tori's been here for the long time. She's married to Will. They have three kids. Um and so Tori's going to be a great addition to uh, the podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun, um, but we're also going to deal with some uh, pretty important topics. This season, uh, in addition to having Tori as a co-host, we're going to have guests every week. Um, not this week, because this is kind of an introductory podcast, and we're going to talk about a topic. But every week, we're going to have uh, a new person come in and address uh, a topic or address an issue and have a conversation. And so um, these are going to be focused primarily on soul care, mental health um, uh, type of topics, but uh, we've got a lot that I'm excited about. And um, so Tori, today we're going to delve into the topic of church and mental health. Um, you know, it's really interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Statistically, um, most people who are struggling with mental health issues, it's a very well-known thing. And it's interesting, the first place that they will go is a church. That's a well-known statistic that most people who have mental health struggles will first go to a church before they may engage 
a therapist. So interesting, which is really affirming for the church and, mm-hmm. and what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great thing that people feel like this is the first safe place they can think of. That's right. Yeah. So that's a, a pretty well-known thing that um, a lot of frontline uh churches uh, serve in that area for people who are struggling and still within our culture, at least here in the South, um, churches do have a, uh, a reputation for uh, being able to be a helpful place for people. And so uh, we also know that churches will be a front line of defense or a front line of open door for uh, people who are dealing with mental health struggles. But also we know that over the last several years, um, just mental health issues have just continued to rise more and more and more. Almost every therapist that I know, um, I talk to, and they their schedules are completely full. I know that's true if you're yeah. trying to get into one. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's hard it to is. get in. It is. Does that surprise you? No. Yeah. I think it probably... I think it probably says something because in my experience, if I'm looking for a therapist, I'm looking for a faith-based mm-hmm. therapist. And I don't know if, I, I guess I have not known, is it because they are so full, their schedules schedules are so full, but there also seems to be so few of them yes. too. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a huge need for, yeah. like, we need more faith-based therapists. Yeah, we, do, we really do. Yeah, I mean, even in Jackson, as we're continuing to see uh, just growth in the population in general, we see more and more of a need. Mm-hmm. And there are people that uh, will seek out, just as people seek out the church kind of as a, as a front line, uh, there's also people that will say, I want to go to a faith-based uh, mm-hmm. place, a faith-based therapist. And right. so that's, a, that's an important thing. So we do see the rise of uh, a lot of these issues. And I know that there are people that are a lot brighter than me that have done the research as to why we are experiencing what we are experiencing. And and I think it's multi-layered. I think it has to do with just uh, our world, our society, our um, um, connection, but also profound disconnection. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a lot of reasons. I mean, I think people will point to, you know, COVID was definitely a, uh, instigator, uh, for a lot. Um, but you know, we're years past that, but yet there's still a need. I also think there is a, just a more, um, awareness and a less maybe social stigma around that. Maybe that's why in part, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's why we're seeing a, a huge rise, uh, within, Mental health issues. So I think people, I think my generation, I feel like more people are talking, Mm -hmm. like we're saying things are not okay. Um, I am not well. Um, I mean, even in my own struggles with depression, um, I feel I'm freer now Mm -hmm. in this time in my life, whether it's a shift in culture or whatever, to say, you know what, this is a hard season. Mm-hmm. I'm struggling right now. Right. Um, so I do think people are more comfortable to talk about it. People are more um, apt to say, I'm seeing a therapist right now. I hear that. You know, people aren't as quiet anymore about their struggles. Um, but I still think there's a huge percentage of people who choose to live in the darkness mm-hmm. of, of the weight of what when they're in a bad place with their mental health. Yeah, I do too. I think there's a, a, a large percentage. I think there's a large percentage of people within the church that still choose to um, not address mm-hmm. those issues or feel like they have to hide or feel like they have to be very 
um, private in so that I struggle. So I guess saying that, I guess it surprises me a little bit, your statistic, uh-huh. now that I'm kind of processing that, that uh-huh. if the first place a majority of people go is the church, um, I feel like also in my years of leadership in women's ministry that sometimes the church doesn't feel safe. Yes. Yep. Um, for a lot of people I've encountered like, but well, if I'm in a Bible study and I am, I'm, you know, doing all these things I'm supposed to be involved in, then why am I still struggling? Right. And I don't want to tell the people that I'm serving with and who are in leadership with me or who, whatever, that I have, you know, depression or anxiety or whatever other, you know, thing it might be. Um, so my experience has said maybe different than what the statistics mm-hmm. say, Yeah, which I would agree happens. Yeah, I would agree. So that's kind of where we want to jump in today of what makes churches unsafe when it comes to these issues. Um, we're not talking about a one particular church, but just the the kind of global church in general. What makes um, what do churches do that um, that that cause people to continue to stay in in hiding and cause people to not feel like they have a freedom to be able to say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I need help. I have a few uh, thoughts on that. I wrote out a few things and we can kind of talk about those. But the first thing I thought about, Tori, was when churches have a culture where it's really um, taboo for Christians to struggle. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when there's just kind of a, when I say culture, maybe there's just this um, ethos that exists from the, from the teaching, from small groups, from Bible studies. There's just kind of this spirit within the church that um, we can't let people really see the real, mm. the real me. Right. Well, I think we all have this idea that in our faith walk, it's, it's only forward momentum. Mm-hmm. We're only supposed to be making forward progress. Right. And it, we're fine with you start wherever you start, wherever you are, but you're supposed to be moving forward. And we don't know what to do. I don't think sometimes as a church, well, what happens when we move backwards? Yeah, that's true. Like, how do we pick up the pieces and keep moving forward? How do we not shame people? I mean, we don't do that intentionally, but it's like, oh, I thought you'd gotten past that. Right. <laughs> but you know, Yeah, I've come to Christ. I thought all my problems are going to go away. I've become a Christian, and I thought I wouldn't continue to struggle with the things mm-hmm. that I'm struggling with, with my sense of self with my um, understanding of the world with my uh, addiction issues I thought all of that would go away mm-hmm. and so I think it's very destructive when we create a culture that doesn't have an understanding of um, sanctification doesn't have an understanding of the process of what that looks like mm-hmm. um, the three steps forward and sometimes ten steps back and the 10 steps forward and three steps back and the reality that that is the process that we're in uh, over the long haul uh, until God calls us home. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite um, years ago, I was at the Cove in um, North Carolina and I saw a picture of Billy Graham, the Cove is the Billy Graham training center. And so uh, they have this picture of Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, uh, her gravestone. Uh, says construction is now complete. Thank you for your patience. Aww. And she saw that sign on an interstate, uh, and she said, "I want that on my gravestone." And so I, I just think that's really powerful. 
It really is. And and the reality is we're going to always be under construction uh, until the day we're home. And so not being surprised when we continue to years and years into our faith, continue to say, gosh, I thought this thing would be gone or I thought this struggle mm-hmm. would go away um, 20, 30 years into faith. Right. And so I think churches do a disservice when they don't have language or a lived experience for that. It does a lot of damage. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second thing I thought of was um, when pastors get over their heads, mental health issues. I'm going to agree with you. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, gosh, this is going way back. Being, I don't. I was in middle school, and I'm not going to ever divulge the details of this story to you or anybody else, but I got in trouble and my parents saying, well, we're going to have to call the preacher Mm. and had him come to our house. Mm -hmm. I was mortified. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was kind of confession slash he was supposed to impart some kind of wisdom to fix this situation. Mm -hmm. And it was the right thing. Like I I understand my parents just needed some assistance um, or thought that he could encourage me in a way, but he wasn't a therapist. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in any, I don't know. There was nothing offered in that moment that I felt like helped, but and it was kind of it was kind of over his head. Mm-hmm. It was a situation where we needed some other kind of help. Mm-hmm. And I think pastors are pulled on so often to do things that that maybe they they don't know right. or have or not. I don't know what's the word I'm thinking. Equipped, for. equipped, equipped to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and probably in small churches that happens a lot. Yeah. But it probably has also over the years resulted in a lot of pain and hurt for people right. when you trust somebody with your 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 broken pieces, mm-hmm. and they have no idea what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. and that's not to diminish. I mean, we are all for um, soul care being the primary place that that happens is within the church and seeing the church be a safe healing community. Um, I mean, my whole life is centered around that. Right. But um, you know, and that's not to diminish the role of 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 prayer of um, of exhortation from scripture that's central that's important but when we deal with um complex issues that at times take take place in in people's lives Mm -hmm. we need to have some sort of categories and training and understanding and just have been able to log the hours Mm -hmm. to be able to do that and i think it's harmful when a pastor assumes that they can do be everything to everybody and have this wide scope of expertise. Right. That's impossible um, for anybody yeah, in yeah. any profession. Right. Yeah. It's any actually, vocation. it's actually really arrogant to think that, mm-hmm. there, that, that you can do, you know, everything. And there is an expectation probably within smaller churches that the pastor, you know, be all things to all people. But I think that creates a problem when there's not a willingness to, uh, refer or build relationships right. with good, solid faith-based counseling centers mm-hmm. within an area. Um, that creates a lot of problems, mm-hmm. and and there's a lot that has to be undone um, when pastors are not willing to say, you know what, I'm in over my head with this one. Right. Um, let me partner with you. That doesn't mean you just, um, you know, 
push that person off to someone. There's still a pastoral responsibility, but that's something that I think is, is difficult. I think churches get it wrong when they do that. I do. And I think mental health is so complex. And I, I I believe that as we are learning more and we're being exposed to more and people are being more open, we are beginning to understand that it is incredibly complex. And I mean, even with a background in it, I wouldn't dare sit down with somebody right now and try to counsel them, not in the capacity that I used to, Mm -hmm. because it's been a long, long time. And the things I knew and was trained in are not fresh anymore. I have not kept up um, with education. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I think I'm just reiterating what you're saying is that it would just be impossible for a person to sit down um, and try to counsel in, in those areas with somebody when you don't have a background in that. Yeah. And there's also a tension with that because um, I don't think that the psychology has all the answers. I know that they don't no. have all the answers. I mean, um, you know, there's hundreds of modes of, of, of therapy and um, all are trying to grasp at how do you help people through their problems that doesn't mean we dismiss that, but that also doesn't mean that we bow at the altar of secular psychology, that yeah. that is the, um, you know, the ultimate answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Christians have struggled with that for probably the last 50 or 60 years. And I don't want it dynamic. to sound at all like I'm saying, don't talk, go talk to your preacher. Right. I'm not yeah. saying that because yeah. I have yeah. talked through a lot right. of crisis in my life. Um, with pastors at my church absolutely, and have experienced healing through those conversations and those times. And there is value in, in that role that only a pastor can, mm-hmm. can give that a therapist cannot That's give. Right. That's right. Um, so I, but I think that it's just knowing where our value is, yeah. where do we provide the most value yeah. um, That's exactly in our relationships? Right. Yeah. We see the primary importance of pastoral ministry is hugely important in, in the lives of people. And the way I see it too, is just in my experience, there needs to be levels of care and, you know, uh, all have a part and a role. Uh, all are a part of the process and someone's right. help and healing. Yeah. Another thing I thought of was this of, um, and we've touched on it a little bit, but when we stigmatize those who do struggle and we make them feel alone, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we kind of make people, you know, you take someone who may have significant uh, trauma um, or, or, you know, significant um, uh, maybe, you know, developmental uh, issues as a result of some of the traumatic experiences um, and, and, you know, they, they can be challenges at times. Maybe if they're, if they haven't sought help and if they haven't sought redemption, um, and so we can easily stigmatize people. And I think that's really destructive and, and very unhelpful when we do that. Absolutely. And I think it's probably born out of a place where we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know how to interact. I was going to read you this. It's so a friend posted this on Facebook, and I think it's so appropriate. It said, a child with disabilities often spends hours being taught how to interact with others. But why don't we spend time teaching those without disabilities how to interact with them? Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same with right. mental health issues. Yes. I mean, why are we not learning what anxiety looks like? Mm-hmm. Why are we not learning what, what it looks like to, um, you know, if you 
are encountering somebody who's bipolar mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, let's learn what that looks like and right. learn how to engage them. How do we do life with them mm-hmm. instead of dismissing? That's right. Or stigmatizing or criticizing or, um, you know, isolating mm-hmm. them. Um, I don't, I, you know, we have to treat those who do struggle in those areas and maybe those that have significant struggles of their people that have worth and they have dignity mm-hmm. uh, and they're image bearers of God. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, we have a view towards their healing. And, and so we don't want to, we don't want to stigmatize. We don't want to stigmatize people. I think I inadvertently did that for a lot of years um, with anxiety and people who struggled with anxiety and thinking, okay, what are the coping skills? How do we, you know, well, it wasn't until I um, experienced anxiety that I was like, oh my gosh, it, it just opened my eyes to what have I done to people, to the people I care about, even my friends and family over the years, maybe suggesting like, you just got to power through, mm-hmm. you, you just have to keep going. Well, when I experienced, I realized, well, that was that was really a ridiculous idea. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't. And yeah. so it was the people who were willing to enter in with me and say, "I know, I know mm-hmm. what you're feeling," um, who helped me get through that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, we do damage when we are oversimplistic mm-hmm. and make uh, maybe complicated issues, and we oversimplify. I mean, you take mm-hmm. someone who has severe depression. And to tell them to go take a walk. Yeah. It'll make you feel better. Yeah, or to say to them, well, just, you know, get out of bed and get going. Yeah. And uh, and there is some benefit in sure. having structure and and being able to take initiative in those ways. But to say that in a oversimplistic way uh, does a great deal of damage. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we... Uh, we do damage when we stigmatize people or maybe put labels on people. Right. Uh, that's very... And it's a vicious uh, cycle yeah. of, of course, people don't want to tell you that they have, that they're struggling if mm-hmm. there's going to be a stigma and then it just keeps going yeah. on and on. And and then the stigma causes you even more, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. problems. So mm-hmm. it's tough. It's yeah. a tough cycle. We've got to figure yeah. out how to break. And it's really interesting too that I, you know this may even open up a can of worms, and those that are in the open mental it, health, those it. that are in the mental health profession, uh, may totally disagree with me, and that's okay. But I believe a lot of our modern labels are a result of insurance purposes. Sure. There are a lot of our labeling. This person is X Y Z. Um, you know, the labels, we don't want to dismiss those. The labels sometimes can be helpful, but I think what it does do is it stigmatizes people. Mm-hmm. It, 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 uh, they, they become a label rather than a person. Um, you know, they become the symptoms rather than a soul. Right. And so I think, uh, it's easy, uh, to, uh, just kind of put that label on people and, and forget that they are actually a person made in God's image who has a life and has a story and has complexity. And I think, um, you know, our, our modern world has, uh, created because, you know, certain, uh, certain counseling offices that interface with insurance have to provide diagnostic codes. Um, and, and so, um, that's a statement some would agree with, some would disagree with, um, and, uh, I think streamlining for insurance is pretty mm-hmm. common across the board. So yeah. I, uh, if we want to 
generalize that probably all the way from mental health through physical, all the things that we have had to streamline for insurance is probably a very mm-hmm. accurate statement. Yeah, and, and it and it just when someone says I am bipolar, yeah, um, or like there's a one label fits yeah, all. Exactly. Like, nobody's experiencing the same symptoms, the same trauma, the same anything, but that label just has to fit everybody. Yeah, it is. And, and so to be able to say, well, okay, that may be where you are right now, but that's not your identity. You know, that's your struggle. That's not who you are. And so I think sometimes we can, uh, in a very uh, unhelpful way within our society, we can stigmatize by labeling, and we can do that within the church too, and it's not very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that is a, that's a destructive thing. It makes people feel alone. Um, it makes people feel like they are broken and they cannot be fixed. I remember when I first got here almost... Well, I guess I'm coming up on 11 years here, 12 years. Um, When I first got here, uh, there was a group of people who had some sort of interest with soul care, um, but it was very, very early and it was it was not a form type of ministry so there was still uh, wide open spaces to you know for me to shape it in the way that I felt called to do that but I just remember years ago uh, having a conversation with someone that you know there was a uh, recovery class that was taking place and and this person said um, uh, and this person's not even alive anymore but uh, this person said uh, well we're just all a bunch of broken toys you know, and I said to her, who would ever want to come to a class that that is the label? Mm. No one wants to be labeled a broken toy. Right. Um, uh, that that does great harm. You know, so that was almost like a, a badge of honor. Well, we're the broken people, wow. you know, and uh, and I strongly disagreed with that. I just I, every one of us has brokenness within sure. our lives that we're all in process with, but to uh, create, you know, a soul care being equated with we're broken, um, I think is really, really harmful. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of churches can do that. I think uh, churches uh, run the danger also that have maybe a strong recovery uh, ministry and a recovery movement. Mm Uh, that can be a danger because it's like us against them. We're we're the we're the recovery people. We're the broken people. We're the ones that have struggle. You know, we're we're kind of the ones who are separated, rather than just kind of this holistic. Like, no, all we're of all us broken. All of Do you us. Think I want. I'm curious now that we've had soul care ministry for so long, and I love this about fellowship. And I know that it has become kind of part of our DNA mm-hmm. that it's okay to go talk to Will. Right. Everybody goes and talks uh-huh. to Will. Do you? feel like what you're encountering is that the majority of people are identifying their brokenness. Do you, I, I don't, I don't even know if we can measure that, but I'm wondering, like it would seem silly to me to even assume that I'm not broken, but are there people out there who don't know they're broken? Yeah, I think it's becoming more, and just even in the years that I've been here, I think just more of a common reality of vulnerability, uh, of transparency, of, you know, being able to just name that and, mm-hmm. and not see that as wrong or bad or, or even stigmatized. I mean, right. I think conversations that happen within our women's ministry and men's ministry and various other settings, I think that is something that is becoming more of a commonplace. 
but also the thing I love is that that's not the primary identity. Right. You know, that's destructive when that becomes the core right. because, you know, I'm a saint. That's the mm-hmm. core of who I am. I am a saint who happens to sin. Right. Um, and, you know, I am sometimes a saint and sinner simultaneously, as Martin Luther would often say. And so I do think that um, seeing that there's something deeper than just the sin, and that is the, the new heart, the, the spirit of God living within us, I do think that has been a, a good change, you yeah. know, and seeing that, you know, within every area that the goal is not just um, getting in a class and dumping all of our brokenness. And that's one of the things years ago when I first came here that I was very much against, like, no, we're not the broken toys. No, we're not just coming in and having a, you know, a, a, a dump of all of our struggles that can be just as self-oriented as anything sure. else. We're not camping in yeah, the valleys. Yeah, we're not camping in the valleys, but we're willing to say, you know, I am in the valley and how do I get out of the valley and how do I work through that? And so, right. you know, stigmatizing, uh, I think, does a lot of harm. Another thing I thought of, too, was just when churches lead kind of have a culture of stoicism, mm-hmm. you know, that idea that, um, well, just you know, just carry on, just uh, stiff upper lip, just, uh, you know, just deal with it. Life's hard. Right. Um, or, or maybe even a mocking uh, of that, a mocking of, uh, well, these are the people, you know, and sometimes I've heard Christians do that of, well, this person has anxiety. Mm. You know, everybody has anxiety. Right. And that is so destructive. That is, you know, that to, to just to say like, no, this is a human experience. Uh, we are living in our humanness when we're able to acknowledge. And so the answer to that is not stoicism. The answer is not, um, well, let's just, you know, press on and mm-hmm. be strong and, you know, uh, have that as the ultimate value. Right. I think that's or even, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but press on, power through, but even the whole, like, we're going to pray our way out. Yeah. I mean, there there are people who firmly believe, like, we're not going to medicate, we're going to pray. Uh You know, we're not going to go to therapy, we're going to pray. Um, And those are... Uh, those should be our first line defense. Mm-hmm. That should absolutely be the first place we go right. is to the Lord, to prayer, mm-hmm. to our pastors. We should start there, but it is not the only way out no. um, either. And and I believe there there are people who have lived under that oppression. Yeah. It's tough. It is tough because, again, that's uh, making complexity simplistic. and And so I think... We also know maybe God uses, we, we know, we don't guess, we know that God uses means and he uses a variety of means. Means being that that mean may be um, a therapist, uh, medication. Uh, it may be, um, you know, a, a relationship, a friendship, variety of sources God uses for our, our healing and so I think it, it, it is harmful and it has a huge impact when there's just kind of this premium and there's this value on um, stoicism on, um, you know, uh, 
pressing through. I think sometimes men uh, mm. uh, can uh, fall prey to that, that ultimately, you know, this kind of uh, broken masculinity is, um, you know, as, as a man, I'm just to kind of man up. I mean, right. we hear those things, man up. And there is something about, uh, you know, being able to endure and have perseverance and and have resiliency there is something important about that Absolutely. but that doesn't diminish our emotions mm-hmm. it doesn't diminish our emotional world god right. gives us our emotions and so when we are in a in a church setting that diminishes or mocks or um downplays the inner world the inner life the the emotional world um that has an effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've seen faith traditions that even held those beliefs for physical needs. And that almost now to us seems ridiculous. Like we wouldn't, you know, tell somebody who's got heart disease to just go pray it out. But yet we still kind of hold on to those things Mm -hmm. with mental health. And I think it kind of is an indicator of the evolution of how we have not always equated mental health to the same level that we do, you know, physical health. And so I think we're evolving. We're getting there. We're growing. And even as the church, we're adapting to, you know, as things change and we grow and learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Finally, on kind of that what not to do, I I just simply wrote down just when churches just try to fix. Right. Rather than journeying with, you know, um, and you know, I think there's an energy as we engage people, there's an energy of, I want to fix you versus I don't have a clue, but I can walk with you through this. Mm -hmm. There's a different response, a different energy to that. Absolutely. I think that's something we've really tried to, um, embody in women's ministry because as women man you put a group of women together and i want to tell you we are going to fix some things we're going to fix people Mm -hmm. establishments we'll fix everything Mm -hmm. um and we had to make sure as we were encouraging women like come to this safe place be vulnerable and transparent that we didn't begin to like okay well let us help you fix that Mm -hmm. so that has kind of become a thing for us like we are not here to and we tell our leaders that like don't try to fix people just be there, just listen, just encourage, walk, just, all the things you're saying. If there's something that needs to be fixed, guess what? We're not the people to do it, but we can, we can lead them to the next, to the next place, to whomever they need to help them fix the situation. But in the church, within that particular ministry, what God's called us to do is just walk with mm-hmm. people, to love them where they are. And hopefully we're doing that well. Mm-hmm. And to not diminish that and to not Absolutely. and to not see that as well. I'm just, you know, this is just all I can do. There is a huge, huge power in just being present with people. Um, massive. And, uh, you know, I, oftentimes I, you know, I may ask someone and they may say, you know, Will, you were so helpful for me during this season of life. And, and I'll ask them, what was most helpful? No. And it's not that they're going to come back and go, oh, Will, you had this profound insight on our third session that was just blew my mind that I've never thought of before. It's not that. I never get that. It's I knew you cared. I, I knew that I could um, just 
say anything uh, and 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 not feel judged. Um, that this was a place that you know I could explore and talk about even shame-filled things with a curiosity. Um, and there's power in in that. And and so I think not diminishing the presence of that sort of presence. I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not trying to placate you. I'm not trying to, you know, diminish or have you thought about, you know, um, I mean, you think about the person who's really, really struggling and, 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 and maybe they've lost their job mm-hmm. and, you know, they show up on a Sunday morning and they hear, uh, Hey, have you found a job yet? Mm-hmm. You know I mean? That's a natural thing, but you think they're hearing that over and over and over again. Um, okay. that's, that's, not maybe what they most need to hear to help in that moment. Absolutely. So I think we've looked at this and said, okay, these are the things that churches can, that, that, that are damaging, uh, that are hurtful, that are harmful. When we think of the church and mental health, just quickly, as we end up here, I just thought these are things that, that I think churches need to do well. The first thing I wrote down was just understand the complexity with a view to journey with people, uh, even though we, we don't understand all that, that there is to understand. That's just what we kind of talked right. about. I'm just willing to walk alongside. Yeah. And I think when we were saying, you know, we don't want to fix people. Um, I think the opposite of that is sometimes we don't in, enter in because we we're like totally afraid. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't even begin to relate or I don't understand. The easy thing is to walk away. And so just that entering in and even saying to, I mean, I've mm-hmm. had people say like, I have no idea what you're going through, but man, I'm here to sit and listen if you yeah. need that. And yeah. I'm like, that's really all I need. Right. And so I love that idea of like one extreme is fixing the other extremes, totally checking out because you have no idea what to do in this situation. Yeah, absolutely. But just being present, yeah, being think, present mm-hmm. is almost always the answer, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and I think uh, some of the, uh, I think of Irvin Yalom, who's a world-renowned uh, psychiatrist uh, at Stanford University. Uh, he famously talks about a lot of the therapeutic process is just being present with people and present in a certain way. That's not all that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not just, we'll just sit and listen. There is expertise. There's ex- yes. And there's also a, a, a presence and there's categories and there's learning. There's all of that. But uh, a large part is just creating safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, with people, which really all of us can do. Right. We are all called to that. As Uh the body, we are all equipped to do that to some degree. Yeah, that's right. So when churches do this well, when they partner with other mental health networks, I think that's a a, a great, great thing. Uh, When churches know these are our go-to mental health professionals that we can connect people to Mm -hmm. and partner alongside with and uh, have an awareness of, I love that. And when churches do that well, I think that's really, really important and really powerful. And I feel like from the connections I have within Jackson, that the churches in Jackson are doing a great job at that. Yeah, I think we have a strong network. I think people know who can be trusted um, within that community. And I just hear a lot of great things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's a lot that, yeah, that are taking place, you know, and I, I really, really appreciate, um, 
you know, that there are churches that know, um, hey, we uh, we don't have anyone on our staff that's been able to uh, navigate through these sort of things. So we just are partnering uh, with a, you know, local uh, counseling center and we're sending all of our people there and we trust them and have a relationship with them. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Absolutely. And more churches do that. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. I also wrote down uh, when church leaders live in vulnerability. Uh, I think that's a mm-hmm. real what to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, that's appropriate. That doesn't mean, uh, you know, that, um, you know, we vulnerability is, is not uh, a forced vulnerability but just a willingness to um, acknowledge, like the Apostle Paul, uh, I am the chief of sinners. Mm. You know, and is that something that, was that just a colloquialism that Paul, you know, put in place? I, I don't think so. I think that really was the reality of knowing, hey, I know, I know my own sin, mm. and I'm aware of that, and I am modeling out of that. So I think when a church... Uh, models that within their leadership culture, uh, when pastors can say like Paul, uh, I am the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's uh, important uh, to, you know, create a sense of vulnerability within that. And that also creates a space that people can say, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to struggle through these things. Christians are going to struggle. Right. And sometimes Christians are going to struggle with significant issues. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that. Like among our staff, I know, you know, the struggle of two or three, maybe of our pastors for things they've said from the pulpit Mm -hmm. that they struggle with. And it just, it makes them feel so safe to me. Like they get it. Mm -hmm. And so I know that my struggle would be safe with them too. And I also know they're a safe place for me to go if, you know, if I, if I needed to, which goes back to that whole idea of, you know, what do we trust our pastors with and what are they equipped to do? Well, they're definitely equipped to relate to us and just that idea of presence. They are equipped to be present with us. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, Finally, I would say this, just when churches have a good theology of sin in the fall and, Mm -hmm when they understand kind of this below the waterline, you know, that sin is not just behavioral, that sin impacts my, uh, my inner world, sin impacts my motives, um, sin impacts, um, the way I relate to others, uh, sin impacts the energy in which I relate to others. And so when churches have some sort of categories of understanding that, the inside the cup type of sin. I mean, you think about when Jesus says the outside is pristine, but the inside is clean. When he says to the Pharisees, the outside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. The outside is beautiful. The outside is pristine and the inside is filthy. Right. And so when we can actually have an understanding of Christianity, that's an inside out reality that God is about the heart. We hear that over and over and over in scripture. What is the heart? Well, the heart is the command center. It is, it is me. It is my motives. It's my thoughts. It's my desires. You know, when churches have Mm -hmm. a good theology that that's the core at which God is working to redeem, um, rather than just the above the waterline. If we think about an iceberg, the above the waterline is kind of behavior, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and will. And so we think about in unhealthy settings, the message may be, you know, uh, obey more, do more. 
right? Rather than let's get below the waterline and actually say, yes. you know, why am I doing this? Uh, and maybe that's where uh, God wants to do His best and most profound work. Uh, so I think when churches have a, a good theology of not only uh, sin but humanity, uh, not only sin but the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when churches can really understand when theology becomes lived, that's the most important, right? That theology is not just an intellectual exercise, uh, that we know the Bible says that often just puffs up, mm-hmm. but when theology is actually lived in reality, um, and, you know, applied to the most important issues within people's lives, I think that's right. very, very important. And my, oops, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think it's good to remember, too, for practical purposes, that while we know that all brokenness, the origin of all brokenness is sin in this world, and we're all experiencing that, there are people who can live um, forgiven in a way that others can't, and there are people who live in shame for that brokenness, and just a reminder that w- that is not what we were created for, and the result of sin is shame for the unforgiven, but we are forgiving and forgiven and living in freedom every day. And so we are not, we don't have to live in that shame anymore. Yeah. And when we open up for people to see our brokenness that we know is born from sin, we do not have to live in shame because we are, we might may have made bad choices, but we are not bad people. Mm-hmm. And so I just love that when we're when we're talking about theology, just living in the freedom of who we are, and we are not shameful people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really does tie up to my, my 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 very last point was just when we can understand just the gospel realities that I can be a mess in the presence of love. Absolutely. You know, if we think about that, is kind of a. Uh, 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 maybe a a broad way of describing the work of the gospel. When I can say, here is my mess and it's met with love. Yes. And when we know God does that with us, we know that God doesn't turn away. We know that God turns towards uh, with a view of wholeness and redemption and growth, not condemnation and so when we understand that, I can come and just say, God, here's all my mess. And I met with love. And that's a beautiful, powerful thing. And when churches can live out that spirit, oh, man, that is the aroma of Christ in a very broken world. Right. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about cycles, that is the healthy cycle we want to find ourselves mm-hmm. in is that I have opened myself up. I've exposed my brokenness. I have seen people love me. And so in turn, I can love them and their brokenness. And it just creates this cycle mm-hmm. that is beautiful. And I've seen it and experienced it. And I have not perfected it at all. But I do know that when I feel like... um. I, I can't expose this because this is too dark. This is too ugly. Nobody can love this. I can recall it. No, I have done this before. I have been loved through hard things. And then I can just pick it up and just begin that cycle right. again. And I'll often ask people, do you have a friend in your life that knows all of your secrets? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, Will, we're not going to do that today. So then we say, well, okay, well, why not? You know, if we really truly believe I can be a mess in the presence of love, 
um, then I think more and more we will be willing to take risk and say, um, you know, here are my realities that can be trusted with that that is not turned away from. And there's real power there. There's real power there. And so I like to think I tell all of my friends a little bit and then when I'm gone, they can write the book. (laughs) But nobody's knowing. Oh, no, I'm kidding. There is so much truth. And just I I just believe when you take things out of the dark, they do not hold power anymore. That's right. That's right. There's so much freedom in saying, hey, here are the ugly parts. And you know what? Everybody's not going to accept that. Everybody's not going to love you for that. Those are not your people. So we go back to the very first when we say that uh, statistically the church is going to be a front line for people that are dealing with significant mental health issues. And when a church embodies the things that we've talked about today, uh, the positives Mm -hmm. and not the negatives. Oh, my goodness. Salt and light city on a hill. um, That's powerful. powerful, That encourages me so much to be like, I want to be the place where people come when they're having mental health issues. Absolutely. I want this to be the safest place they can think of. Yeah. Uh, Years ago, I did a sermon series here at fellowship called the safest place on earth. Uh We talked about the church. So absolutely. um, And man, there are a lot of um, churches in Jackson who are doing that so well. And I just think, what if there were a person walking down the street struggling and they're like, where do I go? I'm, I'm suffering in my mental health or whatever's going on. What if they could just, everybody laughs, what is Jackson's full of churches and banks? What if all of us were a safe place? Mm-hmm. What an incredible place mm-hmm. in Jackson would be Absolutely. is if you could walk in the door right. of any church and know. Right. Because the church is not the building or the location, it's the people of God in the world. So if more and more people embodied that reality, what a powerful Mm -hmm. thing that would be. Absolutely. Well, Tori, we have gone to and fro. Uh, We have engaged uh, some significant things. So the the final, final question for you is, are you like my older sister or my younger sister? I am your twin sister. (laughs) Good answer. You're like Solomon cutting the baby in half. I'm your twin. Bless your heart. Okay. Well, Tori, I'm very excited to have you on this podcast. I think you're going to add a lot of things and we're going to have some very, very interesting topics. I thought I was coming for comic relief. This was serious. It is serious. It is serious. We'll we'll lighten it up a little bit as they, as they come along. Um, As we go along, I'll just be ridiculous. Like I usually, I was trying to be well behaved for you today. We'll have some play. We'll have some time. We'll we'll definitely, uh, we'll do that. We'll do that. And then, and we'll also have an episode where you share your deepest, darkest secrets for everyone. We're going to sell tickets. Yes. Yes. If we can raise $5 million, I will tell three of my darkest secrets. <laughs> oh, that's a drop in the bucket. All right, Tori. Well, uh, thank you for coming on. I'm excited to have you here for this, uh, for this podcast uh, indefinitely. And uh, we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Storyform podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.